give us listening ears this morning. And we're going to read together Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. And I think it'll be on the screen. You can read along. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Morning, church. We're in our fourth and final sermon in our Advent series in Isaiah. We just had four weeks together of looking forward to Jesus from Isaiah. One thing I think we can see as we, as we walk through this book together, this long book, this beautiful book, is that Isaiah is laying out for us a vision of God's kingdom. A kingdom has a king, a people, and a place. Now, the first two sermons that we heard in the sermon series were about a miraculous baby who would be born, who would be this king, this ruler that would lead us in ways that no one else can, that everyone else fails to do, that we ourselves fail to do. There would be this, this king. Last week, Daniel preached on this child, now growing up as an adult, who would save his people by the shedding of his blood. We learned who the people are. The people are those who are saved by the shed blood of the king. So what does that leave us with? A place. The place, the kingdom, the realm, the kingdom, the realm that the king has for his people. I've heard a lot of sermons about Jesus. And I've heard a lot of sermons about his people, and I'm glad we hear a lot of sermons about those things. I've heard fewer sermons about the place Jesus is preparing for us. I've heard fewer sermons about the realm that he will get to be with him forever. And that's where the book of Isaiah leads us at the end. We get to learn about this place that Jesus is preparing for us as his people. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of my life, I think I've had a pretty poor view of heaven. I think heaven can sound boring to a lot of us or scary. 
Like, it doesn't really sound that fun to float around in the clouds forever, does it? Or maybe to be trapped in a worship service that never ends. It doesn't sound like what I'm hoping for, what I'm waiting for. But unfortunately, I think that's a lot of times the view that we can have of this place that Jesus has opened for us. And my question for us this morning is do we want to grow into viewing heaven as something bigger than that? Do we want to grow in having the view of heaven that God wants us to have? Like if Jesus went through all of this to open up this place for us, would he want us to think that it's boring or scary or something we don't want to go to? And if not, then we got to see what God has to say for us in his word this morning. So that's where we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 65. So right before in our verses, he's talking about how the righteous will go to a place of everlasting blessing, everlasting life with God, everlasting joy. The unrighteous will go to everlasting misery. And now he's going to give us the reason why, as God's people, we will get to eat, drink, and rejoice and sing for gladness of heart forever. Isaiah 65, 17. See, God says, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Church, that's a really sweet verse. God's creating a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not come to mind. What does that mean? This language, it takes us all the way back to the very first verse of the Bible. Does anyone know the first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, the heavens and the earth. So the earth, right, is the lower limit. It's, it's what's below us. The heavens is the upper limit. It's, it's the, the top, the top of what God made. So the heavens and the earth is God's way of saying those things and everything in between. Everything that I made. Behold, I'm going to make a new heavens and a new earth means that God is going to recreate everything afresh again. Everything we touch, everything we hear, everything we feel, everything we taste, he's going to make it all new again, 100%. Except without any of the sin, the rottenness, and the brokenness that Adam and Eve brought into this world and that we continue to bring into this world through our sin and disobedience. The longer I live, the more that I learn that we don't need the world to be fixed. It's unfixable because it's so crooked, it's so bent. We're so crooked and we're so bent. We don't need the world fixed. We need the world made new. This is exactly what it says God's plan is to create a brand new world. The former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Man, that is a good promise from God for those of us who suffer. The former things will not be remembered or come to mind. It doesn't mean that you'll lose all your recollection of this life. That's not what it's saying at all. It's only saying that the sad memories 
that continue to come back and harm us and depress us and interact and hurt our relationships with other people, those things won't be sad anymore and they won't have control over us anymore. We'll be completely healed from the past. Church, I know that there are people in this room who have experienced trauma from other people. I know there's probably people in this room who have traumatized other people. And you wonder if you'll ever get over the shame and the guilt of that. See, traumatized people struggle to forget their trauma. It keeps resurfacing in their minds at unexpected moments. It gets stored up in their bodies and they experience headaches and insomnia at night and they they can't sleep because of the things that have happened to them in the past. As much healing as, as Jesus brings in our lives, it seems like the scars and pain in the past keep affecting us all at some level in this life. Not in the new creation, church. Not in the new creation. The worst sins that have been committed against you, the worst sins that you've committed won't keep making you sad and they won't keep hurting you because God's going to make you new and he's going to make his world new. God will completely renew his people and he will completely renew us. These words would have been especially sweet to the Israel people, the Hebrew people, when they were in captive in Babylon. You see, their city of Jerusalem, a few generations after this text is written, right, it's going to be surrounded by armies. Siege warfare. Has anyone here ever heard of siege warfare before? So what happens is the city would have been surrounded by armies until they ran out of food and water. They would have begun to starve. And the starvation would have become so severe that sometimes people would even eat other people. And afterwards, after that period of starvation and weakening of the city, the enemy army would break into the city and unrestrained bloodletting, unrestrained sin, unrestrained wickedness would break free. Right? The people who were reading this book in Babylon, who were reading these promises, would have been unbelievably traumatized. They would have thought their whole world ended. So they would have thought it was sweet when God says, Behold, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. This is a word that God has for any of you this morning who wonder if you're ever going to heal. If you wonder if you will ever heal from the wounds of your past, the word God has for you this morning is, See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Isn't that good news, church? And then, as the passage keeps going, it somehow gets even better. Verse 18. But be glad and rejoice in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. As happens so often in the scriptures, they repeat themselves with a new image or a new expression to give us a more full idea of what we're talking about. 
right? You, you hear God will create a new heavens and a new earth, but it, it's tough to even understand what that means. So what we have here is another image, another description of what he's making so that we can have a better, better understanding of what he's talking about. So he says, I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. So what God is saying is that this new city that he's creating, this new creation that he's creating, will be like a happy people in a happy city. That's an image God wants us to have of what the world that he's bringing about. It will be like a happy people in a happy city. And what's so striking to me is how powerful that image would have been to those people I was talking about in captivity. Right? Their beloved city had fallen apart. The worst experience in their lives was Jerusalem being destroyed. They would have lost family members. They would have lost friends. There would have been unspeakable things committed against family members. Right? Their, their last memories of Jerusalem would have been of weeping and crying. That's what would have been in their minds when they hear Jerusalem. You could think of Minneapolis being burned to the ground with all of us inside of it. That's what the people who are reading this book would have thought of Jerusalem. A soundtrack of weeping and crying. And then God says, I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. That would have been an image that would have created unbelievable hope in them and should create unbelievable hope in us. That the thing that you dread the most that you lost in this life, the worst pain that you've experienced in this life, God's going to restore it and give it back to you. There's nothing that sin and suffering can take from you that God can't give back to you and so much more. If he can give the Hebrew people back, the city of Jerusalem, he can give you back whatever this world took from you. Your suffering will not have the last word because God has promised these things to his people. So whatever weight you're carrying with you into this room this morning, there's a promise for you here that God can and will heal you if you're trusting in him. There's also a theme in the Bible I want us to be aware of this morning. It's the theme of the city of God. So in the scriptures, there's these parallel cities, these parallel societies that run side by side. There's the city of man, which is defined by brutality to other people in order to get what I want. And there's the city of God, which is characterized by sacrificing myself in order to love and care for other people. What God created in Eden was the city of God. It was a place where he was worshipped and where everyone cared and loved for each other. After his people were exiled from the garden, after they sinned, after they fell, there was a city founded after that. Does anyone know its name? The city that's founded in Genesis 11? It's called Babel. It's the first city we see founded in the Bible after the garden. And it's characterized by brutality and violence. It's characterized by other people using other people to gratify their own needs. And ever since that time, 
the city of man has characterized our cities. The city of God is something that we hope for and that we long for, but it's not something we live in. Every city throughout history, even our own, is characterized by being a fallen, distorted, broken city. Minneapolis, I am so thankful I live here and I love this place. But it does not take long to become acquainted with the sin and the brokenness of the city, does it, church? And what this stirs in us is a hope that when Jesus comes back, he will remake this earth into the city of God. That's what it looks like at the end. And in the meantime, we live in the broken city of man as we wait for the city of God. Just as the Jews who sat in captivity thought about a restored city as their hope, we should think of a restored city as our hope. Right? Our image of what it will be like when we get to be with Jesus forever should not be floating around in the clouds with nothing to do. It should be in a city that's made right. It should be in a city that's restored. It should be as tangible and lovely as this city, but made completely right by Jesus Christ. At this moment in history, where Minneapolis has suffered so much, we're in a better position to appreciate this promise of what God is doing. We have seen and suffered and observed all the brokenness around us for the last year and a half. So when you hear God promise you a new Jerusalem, church, this should cause your heart to rejoice. I just want you to pause for a moment and imagine Minneapolis, except there is no homelessness or joblessness. There is no mental illness or drug addiction. There is no racism, segregated neighborhoods, or political division. There is no more carjackings or shootings. There is no more police brutality or riots. There is no more sex trafficking or abortion. Church families of all kinds of people fill our cities who love one another well. And there is not a lonely person you can find in the whole city. Not a lonely person, and not a single person who doesn't love Jesus in the whole city. And not a single prejudiced person you can find in the whole city. Would anyone like to move to this city? What this text is saying is, church, is that we will move to the city. This is the city God's building for us. This is the city Jesus opened the way for us to live in. And God wants us to imagine nothing less when we imagine the new Jerusalem that we're going to get to live in one day. You will get to be the happy people of God living in his happy city. There's this line in the third book from the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, where Sam Gamgee finds out he's not going to die. And he finds out none of his friends are going to die. And he finds out that the evil enemy who was going to destroy the entire world was defeated. And while he expected his life to end and everything he loved to be destroyed, suddenly you find out that everything's going to be great. 
And he has this really awesome exclamation that he makes in the form of the question. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? In church, Jesus is bringing you to a city where everything sad is going to come untrue. Where all the sadness and brokenness in your family and in your past and in your world is going to come untrue. And it's simply amazing. It's simply amazing. God doesn't want us to think this place is boring. God doesn't want us to think this place is scary. He wants us to want to be in this place more than anything else. Now as we move on, God is going to keep providing more images of this city so that we can get a better understanding of it. I think one reason that we try to just be content in life here and not look forward to this city is because we just don't get what God's making for us. So he's going to give us image after image after image so we can understand the place God is making for us so that we can truly long for it how he wants us to long for it. Verse 20. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. In the ancient world, infant mortality was a common occurrence. It was a constant reminder that the curse and death and sin is all around us when you saw babies dying. While we've had a few miscarriages in this church and lost children to that, thankfully, we've never lost a baby. But that's not the case. That's not the case for much of the world. That's not the case for much of human history. Infant mortality is a constant reminder to most of the human beings who ever lived that this world is not as it should be. In this city, there will be no more infant mortality. There will be no more miscarriages. There will be no more reminders of curse and sin and death around us because there won't be any more curse or sin or death. Next he says, whoever dies at a hundred years old will be considered a young child. In the New Jerusalem, there will be no more premature death or unexpected death. Whenever someone I love dies, it always feels like a gut shot to me. Even if I was expecting it, it feels like a gut shot to me because I can't quite feel like I can get my mind around what happened. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't feel right. It's just like hard to comprehend that they're gone. We're trying to understand the un-understandable when we try to deal with death because we weren't made to die. It's the most unnatural thing in the world. And in the New Jerusalem, in the city Jesus is bringing us to, there won't be any more gut shots. There won't be any more trying to understand death because there won't be any death anymore. I know it sounds like in these verses people will die, but they'll just die when they're old. I don't think that's what these actually mean because there's other places in Isaiah that talk about death being no more. Instead, I think these are imaginative images that would have made a lot of sense and been really powerful to the original hearers. These are creative, imaginative images that God is using to get across the idea that in his city, there is no death. I love how one author put it, over the whole of life, the power of death will be gone. 
I know there's one friend I have, he recently turned a certain age and he feels insecure about it. He feels like his body is breaking down. Every year older is a reminder to us that we're getting closer to death. And it's not fun to think about. It's not fun when our bodies don't work like they used to anymore. And you're going to move to a city where you'll never think about that ever again. <laughs> That's the kind of city God is building for us, church. Where you don't have to try to ignore death because it's just not even a reality to think about. What else do we learn about this city? They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. I love these verses because it describes the city that God is making as a very, very simple place. What's going to be there? Houses, gardens, people, and good food. Does anyone like those things? Okay, heaven's not going to lack anything that you like, okay? I just want to be clear about that. No longer will we build houses and others live in them. There's going to be no enemies or hostilities there. No one, no one who's out to get you. No one who you are afraid to talk with. No one who you dread being around. There's just perfect harmony with all the other people God made you to enjoy him with. It says, as for the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Life in this city is going to go on for a very long time. It's never going to end. Have any of you guys ever had one of those evenings where you're hanging out with friends or family and you're playing games and you're having food and you're telling jokes and you just wish it will never end? That's the whole experience in the city. One long time of enjoying the people, the food, and the places you like, wishing it would never end, and constantly being reminded it's actually never going to end. That's the kind of city God's making for us. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. No one will ever have to worry about losing something that you worked for or your kid going through something that you don't want them to go through. I'm not a parent yet, but I've heard how anxious it can be to have kids in this world and how you can worry about the pain that they're going to have to experience and you'll never have to worry about your kid going through a misfortune ever again because God won't let it happen in his city. We need to have an ex expectation adjustment about this, what heaven will be like, about what God's creation will be like. It will be a tangible place like this one, but just better than any of us ever dreamed or imagined. That's what God is making for us. And then in the next verse, I don't even get it, but it somehow gets even better than this. It somehow takes one more step forward and gets even better than everything I've been talking about. Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Do any of you guys struggle with your prayer and devotion life and wish it was better than it was? 
How would you like it if one morning you opened up your Bible and you were praying to God and all of a sudden Jesus walked through your bedroom door and started answering you with verbal words? Would any of you want that? That's what intimacy with God is going to be like in the city. No more distance from God because of our cold hearts and our sin. No more distance from God because of this fallen world. Every single day, you're going to get to connect with your Jesus as much as you want to. And you're going to want to so bad. And he's going to be there to fill you up with himself every single day. On top of getting the best city ever, you're going to get the best Savior ever, and you're going to be with him all the time, and there's going to be nothing holding you back from being close to him. And then comes our last verse, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. There's a saying that goes, nature is red in tooth and claw. Has anyone heard that before? And what it means is that there's unstoppable violence in the animal kingdom. It's just brutal out there. And the brutality of the animal kingdom is a picture of our own sin and death to us, a constant reminder that the world is not as it should be because we're not as we should be. And God's saying, when my city comes back, when Jesus comes back and builds my city here, I'm going to heal the whole world. The healing that you'll receive will be fleshed out in the healing of the whole world. So much so that even animals that live at hostility with one another will live at peace with each other. The wolf, which is a predator, is going to hang out with a lamb, its prey, and eat stuff, but not the lamb. <laughs> the lion, which is a terrifying hunter, is going to eat straw instead. And the serpent which in the Bible is the first killer, right? From Genesis 3, the first killer of men and beasts. He came in and he brought death here. He's not going to hurt people anymore. He's just going to eat dust like he deserves. God says, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. A holy mountain, that's a phrase that takes us back to the Garden of Eden, which was probably situated on a mountain. You remember the delightful life, the delightful world that God made for his people at the very beginning of the Bible is the kind of life that he's going to remake for us in his city that he's going to make for us. Everything that the Garden of Eden was supposed to be, we're going to get to enjoy forever with Jesus. That's what it means to be on his holy mountain where nothing ever harms nor destroys anymore. I want to be with you on this holy mountain, church. The longer we live in the city of man, the more we need this promise of the city of God. Do you know that? The more that we experience the inadequacy of this world, the more we're tempted to respond to it in different ways. Right? Every one of us is confronted with suffering and death in this life, and we can respond to it in three different ways. One way... This is one way I really like to respond to it, or don't like to, but do, is despair and isolation. 
despair, isolation, and distraction. Right? We don't want to deal with the suffering of this life, so we find some distraction from it. Right? It can be addictions. It can be entertainment. It can be partying. It can be work. It can be family. It can be something you pour yourself and your life into so that you don't have to think about and process and experience this life. Does anyone do that? So that's one response that we can have to the brokenness of the city of man. Another response is we can find a false savior. The more broken we see the world is, the more prone we are to try to attach ourselves to political and social movements that will fix this world completely. Now, there's nothing wrong with advocating and trying to make the world a better place. I'm trying to do that. But when you replace Jesus with a political or social movement and follow that political or social movement with the energy that you follow Jesus and believe that if only this law got passed or this thing got done, the world would be right, that thing's become a false savior. And we can see that in this city and in all kinds of cities on both the right and the left. People who have a false hope in political and social movements to fix this world that, guess what, politicians won't be able to fix. Amen? And I can be prone to this too, as many of you know. So if we're not going, right, church, if we're not going to give in to despair and distraction, and we're not going to give in to finding a false savior, what are we going to do instead? We're going to long for the city of God, aren't we? That leads us to our main point this morning. Longing for the city of God will help us all safely get there. Right? Longing for the city of God are going to help us collectively all safely get there. Because when we give ourselves to despair and distraction, when we give ourselves to false saviors and movements, those are things who take us further away from Jesus and empty us of him. But what fills us up with him is when we together are longing for the city where we'll get to be with him forever. So the way we put to death scrolling through our phone, the way we put to death reading 500 news articles a day about that party we don't like, is we long together for the city of God. And this is something that I need to grow in because I do not think about this place every day that I'll get to be with Jesus, and I want to. I want to start thinking about the new Jerusalem every single day, and I want to invite you to do the same thing with me so that you can be free of the despair and free of the idolatry of this world with me. It is the act of anticipating the city that's going to help us get there. There's a song that the elder team enjoys. We actually all jammed out together in Dale Gruber's van one time. If you want to like picture that, you don't have to, but you could. And in the course of this song, he's expressing his disappointment with this world and his hope instead with the city God is making. The song is called Citizens by John Guerra. And, and here's the chorus that I find is so, such a helpful way to express what I'm trying to say this morning. He says, coming to you 
because I feel confused. Coming to you because I feel used. Coming to weep while I'm waiting. Tell me you won't make me go. I need to know there is justice and it will roll in abundance. And here it is, church, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens and you welcome us as children home. Man, church, I just want us to spend the rest of our lives marveling at the place God's preparing for us until we get there together. That's what we want to do. That's what we want this church to be about. The world and its distractions are so dim because Jesus and his promises are so bright. You may be here this morning and you may not yet be a citizen of this city. Did you know that? You're not born a citizen of the city. You have to become a citizen of the city through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you might be wondering, Ross, I want to go to the city with you more than anything. How do I get there? Well, you need to know the king. You need to know the king whose city this belongs to. And you can talk to me. You can talk to any of our members. But the way to arrive at the city is to repent of your sin and trust in the shed blood of Jesus for you and for me as a way to enter the city together. That's how exiles like us get to enter the city. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. I just want to share one final word from this text. Actually, a different text. The city of God as an image of the new creation comes up again in the Bible. It comes up again at the very end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, we read a little bit about it earlier in our service. I'm going to read from verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And here it is. And he carried me away to the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So at the end of the Bible, when Jesus is coming back and the world is finally being made right, what's the image Revelation leaves us with? It leaves us with a city coming down from heaven to a holy mountain. City of God coming here to dwell here on the earth and us to dwell in the city. In case any of you didn't know, this is what our church logo is. I was going to ask you to put that up on the screen, who's ever doing slides. Should be the next one. In case any of you didn't know what that is, is the box is the city, the triangle is the mountain. And it's a reminder to us every week when we see this symbol that this is our hope that God's going to remake everything new. So church, may we grow in longing to be with Jesus forever in the city he's making. And may we repent of our low views of this place and take hold of his promise with all of our hearts that we might all arrive there safely. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I confess that my view of the place you're making for your people has been small for most of my life. 
and it needs to grow. I ask that I would use my imagination to think so high of this place and that we would use our imaginations to think so high of this place. Help us to anticipate it, God, with all of our hearts and want to be there with you more than anything in this world. Please help all the distractions that we face to fade away before the brilliance of this place that you've shown us this morning. And may we all safely arrive there by trusting in our Savior, Jesus. I pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to go into a time of prayer and reflection. And just ask for you to consider those three possibilities that I brought up. What, what areas are you sinking yourself into despair and distraction? What false saviors are you looking at to fix the city of man besides Jesus? And ask the Lord to stoke in you a passionate longing for his city where you'll get to be with him forever.